So today's daf is Chafhei, and we pick up with um, um, uh, about ten, uh, ten lines on the bottom, about maybe six lines before the lines get wide, and the words are Lama Mafisim. Actually, this should be set off by two dots. It's interesting. In some Gemaras, it is set off by two dots. In some, it's not, because this is going back to the, um, you know, this is, I mean, it's not going back to um, quoting in Mishnah, but it's done with the earlier discussion. The earlier discussion was all about um, what constitutes um, an avoda, and uh, you know, what if a kohen gadol? Um, excuse me. What, what would you do if a non kohen would do it? Whether you be chayav misa or not? Um, and now we're going back to the larger, the earlier discussion about the lottery that was taken. Um, you know, in, um, at the time of the Trumas Adeshen. But we're picking up on Chavdal and Amud Bet. We're picking up Chavdal and Amud Bet about ten lines from the bottom. Lama Mafisim. So anyway, just to remind us about our context, right? We were talking about the pious that they did, the lottery that they did for the Trumas Adeshen. It led to a whole discussion about the timing of the Trumas Adeshen. It led to a discussion. Excuse me about um, changing clothes for the Truma Sadeshen, whether the Hotsa or the Hotsal Sadeshen, whether the Hotsal Sadeshen was an Avoda, whether the Truma Sadeshen was an Avoda, and then to the, how much you took for the Truma Sadeshen, and then the question about whether if a Zar did the Truma Sadeshen, would you be Chayav Misa? So all these are lessons about Truma Sadeshen, and now we return to the fact that they had a lottery pot prior to this, again, not on Yom Kippur, but, um, during, the, um, but during the normal year. So that get, picks up ten lines from the bottom. It side line starts with pasul. It says lama mafisim. Okay. So I also did want to mention, and this um, came up when I was away, but it's worth mentioning again that um, the, there was an interesting discussion in the Rishonim whether the Kohen Gadol would do the Truma suggestion on Yom Kippur or whether they would have somebody else. We basically say that all the avodas of the day, even like the Tamid, is done with the Kohen Gadol. But the question is, what about the avodas halayla? Since Truma suggestion was done at night, did that require the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur? There's actually a debate of the Rishonim. But we're talking about not Yom Kippur, but the rest of the year, and that they would do a pious. So let's pick up Lama Mafisim. Why would they do this pious? So the Gemara says Lama Mafisim. Why would they do the pious? Why would they do the lottery? Kidamin, like we said, in order to determine who gets to do the uh, Trumas Adeshen, that we could, you know, have a good random way of assigning the Trumas Adeshen. So the Gemara says no. Lama Mafisim Mafisim. Why do we do four lotteries? Because what we're about to see in the next Mishnayot is that they had one lottery for the Trumas Adeshen, next lottery for the Tamid, another one for the Ketores just have one lottery at the beginning of the day and based on that assign all the regular jobs of the day. Why do they have four separate lotteries? So we're anticipating a later Mishnayot. So the Gemara says, In order to create a commotion in the entire temple courtyard. Meaning in order to make it very exciting and a lot of running around. Oh my gosh, what's happening? They're doing the lottery again. Then yeah, they're doing another lottery and to create a lot of busyness and excitement in the, in the, in the temple. So why? Because the verse says, "Asher yachtav nam because together we will sort of go in the, uh, um, um, you know, in the um, uh, beauty of or the deliciousness of the se- of a secret. The Elohim In the house of God, we will go with commotion. 
so there's this idea that you know that the moving around and the commotion creates this uh, you know this great sense of importance and significance one might also say something about the juxtaposition with so secret like it's a very you know part, part of what you know the whole idea that it's like a somewhat I mean obviously it's fun, funny because as a you know Bahavdil as opposed to other types that you know of uh, temple rituals that existed among the non-Jews um, you know where there was always there was always enshrouded in secrecy which gave it the sense of mystery and importance you know so much at least well from what we're reading the fact that there's all this Gemara on it makes it much more transparent what they would do um, but you know that sense of that there's elements that are very obscure or that are very um, you know um, what's the word esoteric and that there's all this commotion and movement and you don't exactly know what's going on somewhat the juxtaposition also of the sod of the secrecy with the Biragesh creates this great sense of mystery and importance although the Gemara is not talking about the sod I'm just pointing it out the Gemara is talking about the Biragesh and that sense also creates this great sense of excitement and importance around the base of Mikdash I think it's the Midrash the Drash and sod I think here the Pshat is sod and the Bodin, a, a group of people. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I think that's the Pshat and then the Drash. Oh, that, that's an interesting point. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, so thank you for that. I, I was not aware of that. Yes. Right, but I like, but, but no, I stand correct when I hear the point. Yes, Rifka. I don't know that it was transparent, but not spoken in. They were not there. They couldn't see the gates were closed. They were Well, uh, the gates were only closed. Um, no, everything that was done in the Beit was, um, I mean, in the courtyard was out in the open, and if you're standing in the Ezra Israel. Uh, no, the Azara is the open area. So, although we will find out that this was done inside the, um, we will find out. Yeah, it was in the what? It was no, it was not in the Heichal. It was in the. Uh, but we will find out that although it was in the Azara, it was in a chamber. So it was actually in a closed space. So that's a good point. So, so that's right. Right. So that's a good point too. It is. It, it, it was not out in the open. So that's a good point as well. Okay. So um, hold on one second, just. So um, okay. Oh my God! Just one more second. Keep on trying to get this. I'm finally thinking about. Okay, fine. All right. So now we continue. So that's why we we would do it multiple times. So now the Gemara says, Bamem Afisim, um, six lines before the lines get wide, Bamem Afisim, with, um, with what would they do the pious? So the Gemara says, what does that mean? Let's take a look. So, meaning, well, we'll take a look. Meaning, how are the Kohanim dressed when they would do the pious? Were they dressed in their weekly garments or were they dressed in their big day kahuna? So partly it's an interesting question about whether can you be wearing your big day kuna for things that are not actually the avoda. Um, although this is related to the avoda and so on. That is actually not the Gemara's question. Let's see what the Gemara's question is. Well, you think it's the mem- hold on. So with what would they do the pious? So Rav Nachman Amr, thank you, big day kol, in their weekday garments. Rav Seishas Amr, big day kodesh. What? Play on words with Okay. I'm not sure why that fits in here. Okay, Bivik de Chol. So they would do it in their weekday garments. So change the summer, Bivik de Kodesh. They do it in their big day Kuhuna. So let's take a look at the arguments why, for, and against. Like, we can come up with our own arguments. Are you allowed to do it? Big, big day Kuhuna, if it's not yet an avoda, or maybe if it's necessary for avoda, maybe you're required to do it. We can come up with our own reasons. Let's see what the Gemara says. So the Gemara says, um, 
Rav Nachman Amr Bivik Dechol Dia Marcha Bivik Dechodesh If you would say you wear your Bivik Dechol Now when you did the lottery Ika Bali Zroot what a great answer. He says, look, if everybody is dressed in their big day kuna, let's say you lose the lottery. But so what? If you're like a strong guy, a bully, and nobody wants to come up against you, then you say, the heck you say I'm not doing the Talmud, and you just run ahead and you do it. Or you just, what? Because then by the, it takes you time to change. You can't go ahead and grab it. If you're already ready, then you go and you just grab it. Privileges the bully. It privileges the bullies. It lets the bully run up to the Mizbeach and do the Truma before, before anybody can stop him. So you're wearing your, so you're wearing your weekday garments so that, anyway, look, there were people whose job it was to control what was going on. So the fact that nobody is immediately ready and you need to change garments or whatever, hopefully that lets them make sure that people don't just force their way to do the avoda if they did not, were not entitled to it. So that's a fascinating reason. Why would you wear your weekday kuna? If you were to say you wear your weekday garments, the opposite. The guy who wins the lottery, because he's so excited and because it's so dear to him, he's going to run up the Mizbeach and do it without changing his garments. So that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of people won't have the patience to get changed. So again, nobody has a fundamental reason why it's necessary in the sense that it's mu- because it's a voda or it's not a voda. It needs big deguna. It doesn't need big deguna. It's all because about how people will react. Um, two different ways of thinking about human nature. Hmm? The and the one who is so Right. There's different types of people there. there. Exactly. So the Gemara says like this. Okay, so... Amar of Nachman, says Rav Nachman, who says it's weekday garment. Mina Aminola, where do I get this idea from? What's my basis for saying it? Not. We taught in a Mishnah in Tamid. Now, what Tosus points out is you have to understand that this Mishnah is juxtaposed with the Mishnah that says they did a lottery to see who gets the Truma Sadeshen. So, right after saying they did a lottery that says they get the Truma Sadeshen, here's what the Mishnah says. Masrun Chazanim, they handed them over to the Chazanim. Chazanim were, again, some of like the, you know, like we would say, like not a Chazan, we'd say like a Gabai. Maybe some of the people, the officers, the people that would coordinate things. Well, that's going to be the question. They would strip them of their garments. They would only be left with their underwear. So, since this comes right after saying they would do a lottery and then they would to who would do the Truma Sadeshen and then it says and then they'd hand them over presumably it means the people who won the lottery so that's how Rav Nachman reads it the person won the lottery so now you get to do the Avoda we hand you over to the Chazanim to the uh, you know Sextons or whatever they take off your weekday garments and they dress you your weekday kuhuna and then they let you go ahead and they you, to do the Avoda so he says look that's what it sounds like it sounds like after you win they strip you and you put on your weekday kuhuna so my love is it not referring to the people who won and they're stripped of their garments meaning their weekday garments and put on their bigday kuna so Rav Huna Bar Yehuda Amar Rav Sheh says no that's not what it means it means it means the ones who won they go and do it the ones who didn't win they get stripped of their not weekday garments of their bigday kuna you have to realize also that this was the Truma Tadeshin which was done when it was still night so it's still night time so if you're not going to have to do the avoda yet, take off your bikdei kuna, wait for, di- for daybreak, and then you'll put it back on. So he says, no, it means that they were stripped of their bikdei kuna if you did not do, if it was not your turn, if you did not win. Hachanami, let's just read a little bit. Hachanami, that makes sense. 
talking about the ones who won and stripping them of their weekday garments to dress them their big day kuna. So what does the line mean when it says they would only be left with their breeches, with their underwear. Right. If if it was the people who didn't win and it's talking about they would strip them of their big day kuna but they'd leave them with their underwear on and then they'd wait around in an hour in their underwear until it was time for the avoda and then they go and again put on their big day kuna that makes sense the michnasayim that that was one of the big day kuna they wouldn't have the rest of the big day kuna on because it's not yet time but they keep on their underwear and then they go put it on the rest of their big day kuna when it was time but if it means their weekday garment so what does it mean it would strip them their weekday garments and leave on their underwear I mean I understand why you want to leave on the guy's underwear but you have to put on the big day kuna and the big day kuna have michnasayim one of the big day kuna is the underwear so how can you leave on the guy's weekday underwear and put on the big day kuna? So Rashi says maybe, Rashi sort of searches this in the Gemara, maybe the only possible explanation would be is you leave on your normal underwear, on top of it you put your big day kuna underwear, and then you take off the other underwear. Now obviously it depends, it wouldn't work with our type of yeah. underwear with elastic and so on, but if it was more like a boxer shorts type of a thing, maybe there would be a way to do it. Okay, so maybe that's what it means. That would be the only possible explanation. If you're talking about your weekday, you leave on the underwear, you don't want a guy to be stripped naked, so you put on top of it his big day kuna underwear, and then you strip off the, the normal underwear. But one minute says the Gemara, that wouldn't work. That's how, you know, we taught in the up. How do you know nothing can be on the Kohen's flesh prior to putting on the underwear? Exactly that you're not allowed to do this case. Put the underwear on and then take the other thing off. The verse teaches on the flesh. So when the underwear of, is put on of the dekuna, it has to go immediately on the flesh. So how could you say it's talking about the weekday garments and you left on the weekday <coughs> underwear? That either means one of two things. Either you didn't put on the big day kuna underwear, which is impossible, or it means you put on the big day kuna underwear on top of it and then took off the weekday underwear from underneath. But that's not possible because the big day kuna underwear has to be put on immediately against the flesh. So therefore, it cannot mean your weekday garments. How else would, how would you explain this? The idach, or the other one would say, halo kasha, that's not difficult. Hachiktani, here's how you have to read it. It means like this. It means first, again, all of this you have to understand that people didn't wear pants. They wore cloaks. They wore togas. So here's what it would say you would do. The Kohanim are all standing around in their weekday garments. This guy wins. So what we're going to have to switch his garments. But of course, we don't want him to be naked in the base of Mikdash. So here's what we're going to do. We say to him, there he's wearing his toga. Strip off your underwear from underneath your toga, your weekday underwear. Here's your big day kuna underwear. Put it on underneath your toga. Now we're going to strip off your toga and put on the rest of your big day kuna. So you're going to start with your, your big day kuna underwear on by the time we get around to ripping, stripping off your toga. So that's how we would do it. Okay. Was the time long, long yeah, they were like breeches. Yeah. I mean, they were, you mean, you mean, did they come up to mid-thigh or did they come up to the knee? Did they go down to the ankle? No. no, 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 they didn't, they went at most to the knee. They're like a boxer shorts or longer breeches or something like that, okay? I mean, when I'm saying underwear just for a shorthand, I don't want you to be thinking about like the elastic no, type right. of thing, thermal but thermal not thermal, thermal underwear. Undergarments. Undergarments, yeah. right, right. Well, when so, we go to the mikvah, that's uh, where did, did, did you all that before you even got up to the Harabai, and did you need to go to a special time for the mikvah to do you the avoda? 
well, we'll talk about the mikra actually a little bit later. Um, but um, they would have to do uh, kiddush shadayim. But if you're tahor, you, well, let, let's hold up the mikra. Let's just read this question, okay? So the Gemara says like this: Hachitani. Here's how you would read it: Halokash Hachitani. Ad shodan alein bidechol while their weekday toga is still on them. Malbishinus on michnase kodesh. You have them put on their bidechol kuna underwear. You strip their weekday underwear, put their on their, their bidechol kuna underwear. Um, the high you, then they're wearing that bidechol kuna, you know, sort of uh, breeches underneath their togas then they would strip off their togas and then they'd be left with their big day kuhuna underwear and then they'd put on the rest of the big day kuhuna okay so that's a little complicated it's obviously reading a lot into the brighter that isn't there but here's but basically that's a debate he says since the Mishnah says they would strip them um, after it speaks about who won the lottery uh, he assumes Rav Nachman assumes it means they'd strip the guys who won the lottery in order to make them wear their big day kuhuna which for him is an indication that they were initially wearing their that's Rav Nachman's position. Okay? For, to which Rosh says that doesn't work because it sounds like their underwear is still on. So, Amar Rav Shesha said Rav Shesha, now where do I get my idea from, which is that they would do the lottery with the big day kuna. The tiny we taught in the Brisa. Lishkas Hagazis Kameen Basiliki Didolahaita. The Lishkas Hagazis, the chamber of hewn stone, this was where they would have the, um, where the uh, Sanhedrin would, um, would meet, as we're going to find out. And that was a chamber that was right at the sort of edge, as we'll see. Part of it is in the Azara, part of it is outside of the Azara. So it was shaped like a basilica. Okay, which is basiliki. It was like a like a large room, you know, it was a chambered room. Okay? Now Pius um Haisa Pius So there was a lottery was in the east of it. And, and the elder of the basin, right, because this is where the Sanhedrin would be, would be sitting in the west. Bachuliar, some have the kuchliar, which is anyway refers to some type of a of a, of a circle or some type of a um, of a uh, of, of like of, 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 a, of a circular vessel. How do they do, do, they, do they tell you? Uh, sorry, does it say there? This is from a Greek uh, word that refers to a snail-like shape. So it wasn't exactly bacillus. Bacillus. Yeah, bacillus. Is that what is that what a is? That's the mm-hmm. snake that eats itself. What's a bacillus? I don't know. It's cochlear. What? Cochlear. Oh, cochlear. Oh, okay. But that's just a description. Okay, but is that just a word? Is cochlear like cochlear is like for the ear, right? Okay, but it means a spiral. Okay, it means a spiral, right? Okay, fine. So, um, so, okay. So, um, where are we? To mean buchliar. So like they would be in a circle. The appointee over the lottery would come and take the, the mitre, the hat, from the head of one of them. The Yodim Shemimenu Pais Machil, and from him the lottery would begin. The way the Rashi's, the way Rashi explains it is, they call out a random number, they randomly pick a guy, they count the number of Kohanim from that guy, the number that they called out, and then from the Kohen that the number ended at, then they would start and do the, um, you know, and they would say, you get this, and you get this, and you get that. So that's how they would do it. Okay, so but what do we see? We see number one is is that they'd be standing in a, they would well that's what we're gonna get with the meat snap exactly. So let's take a look. <laughs> 
So it says, um, so the Gemara says like this, the if you assume, um, the big day chol, that they're wearing their weekday garments, mitznefes the big day chol, mi'ika, who has a mitznefet, which is the, the name for the coin goggles, so the coin's hat, who has that amongst normal weekday garments? Clearly, that's a big day kahuna. It says, in, yeah, why not? Kiritani Rav Yehuda says Rav Yehuda teaches the Itema Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda Kohen Shastalo Imo Ketonet if a, a Kohen's mother made for him a, a, a cloak and a Ketonet is the worst word also for the cloak of the Big Day Kuna Ovi Bavodas Yachid he can use it to do his Avoda now what does that mean? So, what does Avodas Yachid so Rashi so the way this is explained later is, is that this is she made him a special garment and then she gives it over, it's no longer his privately, because for it to be Bittekunu, it has to be sanctified, and it has to be owned by the, commun- by the communal funds. You remember some of this discussion by Shkolin. So later, when this break is quoted later, it says, Wubachetim Serena Litzibur. She can't make it your his private thing. She has to give it over. She sewed it for him. She made it for him. But in the end, she has to give it over for the tibor. What's a vodat yachid? So later, we're talking about specifically in the context of the coin gadol. Okay, I think it actually says that explicitly. Let me double check. That's ten from now. Lamedham says. Well, yes, they would have to be made by size. That's midobad also. When I, when I go, if I'm a different mishmar, now it's like a Tuesday. Then whoever it is, they say, okay, who's the size small? Something like that. Yep. Or you would have your own ones and they'd be kept, you know, for you in this special place. So anyway, um, let me just try this. I know, I'm getting to that. Okay, so there it says like this. Um, Okay, no, it doesn't say they're explicitly calling God all. Anyway, Rashi says, Rashi says that the Avodat Yachid, Rashi has two explanations what the Avodat Yachid means over there in Lamed Hamad Bet. One could either be the one that Rashi prefers is the going into the Kutche Kutchim to, because he's all alone and so on, and he removing, you know, and doing the Torahs in the Kutche Kutchim. The other is the reading of the, of the Kriyat Torah that the coin would do on Yom Kippur. That was done not the Vigdei Kuhuna, so Rashi rejects that. Because here, while our Gemara seems to be pointing at, seems to be assuming it's not Vigdei Kuhuna, the Gemara over there says she has to give it over to the Tibur, which suggests the idea that it is Big Day Kuna. Okay, so now what we have is actually, though, a problem because the Gemara is trying to prove that you can use these terms of these garments for non Big Day Kuna, for Mitznefet. So the best way to read this Brita is the way that Rashi later rejects, is that she would make him a cloak, it's the word Ketonet. But it would not be Bigdei Kuhuna, but it just, it would, it would be a Bigdei Kuhuna-like garment, but it would not be Bigdei Kuhuna. And he would wear it when he would do the Kriyat Torah, which did not require Bigdei Kuhuna. That's the approach Rashi doesn't like, but that fits very nicely with our Gemara. Because it's saying it's not Bigdei Kuhuna, but it looks like Bigdei Kuhuna, and it is used the same term, Ketonet, Mitznefet, and so on. That works very nicely. And that's why Rashi says here that the Kohanim's mothers would make for them, you know, beautiful garments that were not Big Day Kuhuna, but would evoke the, the sort of the thought of Big Day Kuhuna, because, you know, they, they were good Jewish mothers. They wanted to Shep Naches. It wasn't enough that their kids worked in the base of Mikdash. They were Shepping Naches. Even the other 50 weeks out of the year, they wanted their sons walking around and everybody to know, my son the Kohen, like my son the doctor. So they'd make for them beautiful garments to wear that evoke the Big Day Kuhuna. Okay? And that would sort of be what Rod 
Rashi says here, which works very nicely, it doesn't exactly fit the phrase that they would do avodat yachid, but if that means the reading of the Torah, which doesn't require bigdehekuna, then that can that would be just kolgado. That could work. That's as far as our Gemara here is concerned. The problem is that later the Gemara says that this would have to be given over to the Tzibur. It would not be able to be owned privately, which suggests it was Bigdekuna, which then thus complicates the issue of how we're proving here that it wasn't. Unless the point was whether it was initially made for not Bigdekuna, but if you wanted to use it to do the Avoda, then you would have to sanctify it as Bigdekuna. Maybe you could get it back, and it could be yours. No. When giving, once you gave it over, you gave no, it over. Meaning, like, again, the size, like, you know, you're... That I don't know, but that would be the that would be the base on Mikdash's decision about how to use that. Okay? So again, so for our purposes the point is we it says meet snappet that seems to be an indication of Big Day Kuna. The answer is no. You could have things that look like Big Day Kuna and are used the same names but are not Big Day Kuna. And the proof is about the Cohen's mothers that would make for them a ketonet. So the simple sense here is that it means that they would make these things and they would not be Big Day Kuna. The phrase of Avodat Yachid is a little troubling in that context. And what it could mean is is that if they wanted to use it for Big Day Kuna, then they could sanctify it and give it over to the Tibur. Okay, but nevertheless, even before that time, it had it was made to look like that and it had that name. This is probably okay. the source of Lord and Taylor. Yeah. Okay, so now the question says like this. Especially the Lord part. Okay, so it says like this. Okay. So now we so we have that debate about whether they would use Bigdei Kuna for the pious or not. So now the Gemara says like this. Um Shmami Na, we hear from this Brita that they would do the lottery in the uh, chamber of the Yun Stone the following things. Lishka Sagazi's Chetya Bakodesh, Vachetya Bacho. That this Lishka Sagazis was half in the Kodesh, half in the Azara, half outside the Azara. We can also infer from it. Snake, that? Yes. Hayula. There were two doors. One opening up into the Azara, one opening up into the non-Azara. Because if you think Kula Bakodesh, there was all built in the Azara. So Zokin Yoshev B'marava, how could the elder of the court be sitting in it? The Hamar Mar that we teach, the only people that can sit in the Azara are king's descendants of the house of David. So if you're sitting in this room, you have to be sitting in the part of the room that is not in the Azara. Now, how do we know maybe the whole room isn't in the Azara? The if it's all in the um, in the not Azara stays. So Pius B'mizracha, how could you do the lottery in the east? Don't we need the Vesohin Alech Veragesh, the Pusk we quoted earlier, which is commotion in the house of God, which is understood to mean that the actual pious takes place, has to take place in the house of God, in the Azara proper. So it's quite fascinating. Now this Pusk is becoming a very important, and it speaks about the fact that the pious had to take place in the Azara. It's interesting in that context to remember that according to Rav Nachman, even though it would, must be in the Azara, it was not with Big Day Kuhuna. But here the Gemara is saying that it must be in the Azara. So on the one hand, it must be in the Azara, but you can't be sitting in the Azara. So how do you have both of these things happening in the same room? From this you can infer, it was half and half. They did the pious in the half that was in the Azara. They did the sitting, and that's where the Sanhedrin sat in the half that was not in the Azara. 
but we're not done. Just when we're not done. The Esau Gedaitich Petzach Echad Yeshah. Okay, that explains that it was half and half. Half they sat in for the Sanhedrin, half they did the pious. But one minute, what were the doors? If there was only one door, Esau Gedaitich Petzach Echad Yeshah, Upatuach Lakodesh. So where did this door open up to? If it opened up into the Azarah, so again, the status of this room will be defined by its doors. Because we have a principle that whether if the room opens, the space the room opens into determines the status of the room. So Zakin Yoshev Marava, how could you be sitting in it? The Hatsanan, we taught in this the Halishkos of Bakodesh, if it's built in the non Azarah but opens up into the holy, into the Azarah, Tokhan Kodesh, their status is of it has a Kedusha of the Azarah. So therefore, it can't have one door into the Azara, because then it would be like the Azara, and you couldn't sit. Back to your problem. So let's say the other way. It was open into the non-Azara space. You're then, okay. Again, we're in the problem. How did you do the lottery in it? If they're built in the holy space, in the Azara, but they're opened into the non-Azara, their status is that does not have the sanctity of the Azara. So again, we need the space to be 50-50. Half of it has to have the Azara with the Kedushah of the Azara in order to do the lottery, the Vesolohim Nalech Baragesh, and half of it has to be non-Azara and not Kedushah of the Azara in order to be able to sit in it for the Sanhedrin. So you need to say it was built on the boundary line, and you also need to say that, a- that it was actually um, had two doors. You see that it had two doors. One open in each way. Now, I want to make a point. If it already had two doors, why did it have to be half and half? Right? Why couldn't it be, let's say, all in the Azarah? Okay, let's say this is the line. This is the dividing line. Let's say it's all in the Azarah. And let's say one door opens outside the Azarah and one opens in. Right? Why did it have to be itself on the dividing line? Why didn't it just have two doors? Okay, so it's an interesting question. If it had two doors and was all open up, right, what would its status be? Would its status be some ambiguous gray status? Would it have a double status? Would you divide the line down the middle? Okay, it's not clear, but it sounds like from the Gemara, in order to easily divide the line down the middle, it can't just have two doors. Two doors in one space, maybe you would default then to the nature of the space it was built in. In order for the two doors to divide the space, you needed it to be built on the dividing line. And then it's just one door that would dictate. But two doors and built on the dividing line, that then divides the space down the middle. Now, wh- a couple of interesting things about this. First of all, where was it built? If you take a look here, right, I told, put up this, pulled up this picture. Okay, you probably have a picture if you're in your art scroll. Anyway, this is, this is the, um, what it imagines as the, um, as the Lishkas Hagazes, okay? So this is all in the Azara, because this is the wall, that's, this is Ezra Sashim, this is the Azara, okay? And the door that opens outside maybe would go out this way, or probably, or probably would go out this way, and then one door here, and then you would sort of, you know, and then you would divide it like this. You could also imagine a door this way and a door that way. Now the problem with it is, Here's the problem, because it says, where does it say the, um, they would do the pious? In the east, right? So here they do the pious, we'll make the circle. Okay, this would be the pious. Okay, this would be our east, like we normally draw this, north, right, west, south. Where did it say the Sanhedrin would sit? The Ma'arabah, okay? So here we'll draw a little chair. Okay, <laughs> here's where the Sanhedrin would sit, the Ma'arabah. Now there's a problem. What's the problem? 
because the way the base HaMikdash mm-hmm. is oriented it's the other way around it's the other way around mm-hmm. right so if it's built on the dividing line it's the exact opposite of, what you, of how you need it to operate so I really don't know I don't know if they discussed that in Archville I didn't have a chance to look at it the best I can understand as an answer which is not a great answer is it's built like this yeah. okay if it's built like that so then the um, so it could be in the east wait a minute how's this going to work yes, yes. So then, yeah, and yeah. it's left and right or south north right. south orientation no so yes, yeah, 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 yeah that works yeah you put it in the west and northwest yeah. on the other on the right side of the so line. here goes what oh right right, right. Yeah, yeah 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 so everything is taking place right Every, no okay so this would be exactly. where the ducking would sit exactly. that would be the west right. right I knew okay that would be the west but it would be in that half of it right, right? because the doors would not be east-west doors the doors would be like meaning okay one minute right meaning yeah if your doors are like that right then the west right the north right. side so and then the east <laughs> would be here right and then the pious would be here yeah that's right. how it would work northwest okay so that yes so that the yes meaning forget this this is what's confusing Okay, that's what's confusing me. That's how no, no, because you still have the difference of east and west. Yeah, no, you have to put the other guy down below. Here. Yeah, but if he's down below, then it's the pie have to right. Okay, okay, okay. All of this, fine. All it's like this. Okay, so right, this is the dividing line. Right. The Sanhedrin would be here, but it would be in the west. Okay. But it would be on that part of the dividing line. Right. The highest would be in the east, yeah. but on that part of the highest. So the important difference of north and south is sort of being ignored, right? And that's the basically real, what the article Right. The real difference that the it might be true, this was in the west and this was in the east, but what's important is, according to Abayi's concerns, that this is in the north, north and outside, west, north west and this north. is in the south. Right. The south anyway, some of the other pictures have more, more into the uh, Ezra machine. Right. So you can figure it out. I don't know. Everybody is just do, figuring it out themselves. Now, um, so that's, anyway, that's, that's how Abai imagines it. Now, I want to point out, I want to point out another, a, a, few, a, a few other important points about this, which is, Tosvos, it sounds almost like brisker Torah, but Tosvos here and in other places, and you might remember this, this also came up with where did the Kohen Gadol sleep? And the Gemara's possibility, you know, he had to sleep, he couldn't sleep in a place that was in the other room. The possibility that he could even be there with his wife Tosa points out that there's two different considerations. One consideration is, is the space sanctified or not with the sanctity of the Azara? The other consideration is, what actual space is it? Is it Azara ground or not Azara ground? And this issue of that the door, where the door opens, determines the sanctity. If you have something built in the Azara with a doorway out, it might not have the sanctity of the Azara, but it actually is on temple ground. And if you have something built in the hall with the door into the Azara, it might have the Kedusha of the Azara, but it actually is built on non-Temple ground. So Tosos yeah. points out, when you have this Pesach, for example, the Vez Elohim Nahalech Beragesh, the emphasis of the Vez Elohim could have been understood that it doesn't matter where the door is, it doesn't matter whether it has the Kedusha or doesn't have the Kedusha, what matters is, is whether it is on the Temple grounds or off the Temple grounds. So what Tosos points out is the fact that the Gemara here is concerned about the doorway, the doors, and not just what space it's built on, indicates for the two concerns that are bothering Abaye. Number one, are you allowed to sit? 
and number two, that you have to do the pious in the Azara, that both of those, the answer is not where the grounds are, because then it wouldn't matter about the doorways. For both of those, what's significant is what is the sanctity of the space. So the issue of not sitting in the Azara is determined not by being the Azara itself, but it's determined by the sanctity of the Azara. That's why the door matters. And the idea of doing the pious is, again, not determined by the grounds of the temple, but the sanctity of the temple. And again, that's why where the door is matters. Yes. So in, at least in Herod's time and, and later, there was a fence all around the Har Habayit. And yeah. there were doors from the Azara leading out to the non-sanctified areas of Har Habayit. Well, a sanctified Har Habayit. Yeah. So if it's really the doors matter. The entire Harabayat should have had the temple, should sanctity of the Azara. So that can't possibly work. I don't understand. It's 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 only if the, the door you opens. You got the Azara. Yeah. And then doors leading completely leading out to the Harabayat. Yeah. And the Harabayat was in, was an enclosed space. Yeah, but this is only a lishka. I mean, what you raise is an interesting question, which is how big of a space is drawn after the door. This is only a statement about a chamber and a lishka. Mm -hmm. Because a chamber that's like a closed room, a room is defined by the space it opens into, right? Mm -hmm. If I've got, you know, a bathroom and it opens up into one space as opposed to the door goes into the other space, it's sort of which house if, right. there, if there's a bathroom between our two attached apartment buildings, right, or our two uh, hotel rooms, right, and it opens into my room, it's my bathroom. It opens into your room, it's your bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. So the rooms are defined by the space they open up into. It's not talking about, like, large open space. It's specifically about a lishka. But it's an interesting point. So my point would apply right. then to the, uh, the Ezra machine, though. Um... No, because again, that's an open space. It's not a. It's not like a room. It's not, not a room. I think it's very specifically about a room. Okay. But it's a good question. So two two other points. Two other points. We're we're losing track of time. One is if you look at this. So number one is that this is interesting because of the idea that it's that it's a half and half, and for that you needed it both to be built on on two spaces and with two doors, and how the door issue, Tuzzles points out, is more about the sanctity than about the space. But according to Abai, clearly what matters here is not just space, but sanctity. Two other important points. One is Tosos, the small Tosos. He says, Tema, even the Be'in and Pius for Kodesh, why did you do it indoors? Why not do it outdoors? Right? That's really the Kodesh, the Kodesh say. Vomer Rabbein, it's interesting to face Kaddish Tzvei because of his whole point about the, you know, it has a mixed status. Vomer Rabbein, it's even the note of Mitznaf Tosho Echon Mehem, Ginai Hayalamod below Mitznaf Fazara. Okay, that since they would be removing the hat for one of them, that would be inappropriate to be standing in the Azara with your head uncovered. Now that's interesting because, according to Rav Nachman, they were standing in the Azara, you know, they were sort of, um, well, no, I guess that would be the same answer. Meaning, even going to Rav Sheshas, that they were in Big Day Kuna, that would be not appropriate. For Rav Nachman, the answer maybe is easier. It would certainly be inappropriate to be standing in the Azara with your Big Day Chol. Okay? Um, and there's another answer of Rav Yitzhak Pirish, Mishum Dave Kaimi Kibuchlier, Kuchlier, some people would have their back facing the Heichel, which wouldn't be appropriate. So that's interesting, this concern about appropriateness and how you're saved by that in the room, even though the room opens up into the Azara. Okay. One other interesting point about mentioning this Mitznefet, if you look at an earlier Tosos, again, I don't know if this was mentioned when I was gone, but this Tosos came up before. Mm-hmm. 
So there's an interesting point that, you know, the Torah, when it refers to the hats of the normal Kohanim, it says Migbaot. And when it refers to the Kohen Gadol, it calls it Mitznefet. And actually, so here, like, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years later, whatever, you have a Rishon who's explaining the Pshad of the Psukim, which is not in any Gemara, to say the difference is that the Mitznefet was actually, I think in some pictures, they have the Kohen Gadol things tall, and the Kohen head gets short, but he also points out how much circumference of the head it would cover. That the Kohen Gadol would not cover as much circumference of the head to leave room for the tzitz. Okay, so he's bothered if there really is a technical difference between Mitznefet and Mitba'at. Here it uses the word Mitznefet by a normal Kohen. And he wanted to say Mitznefet was only Kohen Gadol. So his basic answer is, okay, that's biblical terminology. I'm not saying rabbinic terminology, but biblical terminology. So do you think they're both the same or not? In the rabbinic terminology, they're not distinguished, he says. But in the biblical terminology, they are, yeah, the because is, they are different types of hats. About how but we know he's a Kohen Gadol. We have a Mitzvah Shul Kohen Gadol, a law of Mitzvah Shul but then he could have just gone to the Mitznefet. Forget about the outcome. So he asked that question. He deals with that. What? Mitznefet is a Right. Top hat, right. Well, that, again, that's the question. Does it have different meaning in biblical rabbinic? Okay, so let's move on. Hatai is what? What? Yeah. Correct. It goes straight on the forehead. Okay. Hapai is Hashemi, the second lottery. Again, this is during the weekday. Okay? So they would, they, they would do a second lottery after it was daybreak or whatever, right? You know, and for the, for the Tamid. And here would be, who gets to check the Tamid? This is all just for the Tamid. Other Korbanot, they would sort of come as, you know, they would be, I guess, randomly assigned. But for the Tamid, here's was the lottery. Who shechs it? Who throws the blood? Keep your count number. Because there's a lot of Kohanim that are, that are going to win this, that are going to, it's going to be distributed to. You start by the first guy who's the number ended with, and then you keep on counting, right, you know, to your right, distributing the, the tasks, or the avodot. So, who shechs it? Who throws the blood? Who cleans the inner altar, the incense altar? That's three. Cleans the menorah, that's four. Mima alei varim lakeves, who brings up the limbs of the, of the tamid after it's been dismembered up to the ramp. And now that gets distributed. So harosh varegel is one kohen, we're up to five now. V'shea yadayim, the two four legs, that's six. V'ukat varegel, the tail and the other hind quarter, this would be the left hind quarter, that's seven. Hachazavagera, the chest and the like windpipe, that's eight. Mishtei Devanot, the two flanks, that's another Kohen, that's nine. Fakirvayim, the innards, or the inner organs, ten. The Asolet, the flower, that's, of all these, you know, if you, if you, it's like, who do you give Hadba to? A big Sefer or a small Sefer Like, imagine one guy has to carry the two flanks of a cow, and one guy has to carry the flower. Okay, the flower for the, uh, for the, for the, for the, uh, which would come with an Ola. Okay, so that's eleven. The Chavitim is the Kohen Gadol's Mincha, which Half would be brought in the morning and half in. No, he would. It would come from his funds. It would be his mincha. He wouldn't necessarily be the makriv. It's like when I bring a korban, I don't have to be the actual makriv of the korban. I give it to a kohen. He did not have to makriv his own korban. Okay, so that's twelve. It's called chafitim because it was done in a fire pan, half in the morning and half with the afternoon tamid. The hayayit and the wine. That's thirteen. Shloshes are konim zachubo. Thirteen koranim. It would be brought the way the animal would walk. So we'll see in the Gemara what that means, but presumably he's disagreeing with the order in the Mishnah about the way the animal was dismembered and brought up. 
Okay, they ask the question. When they would do this lottery, so would they do this, would they do, there were 13 tasks. Would they do 13 different numbers, 13 different lotteries? Or would they do one number and then give to the 13 people that, you know, 12 people near the guy it landed on, the guy plus 12 near him? Tashma, come in here. There were four lotteries. According to you, that they would do a different lottery for every one of these 13 things, be a lot more than four. So, this is what it means. No, all that might mean is that four times they gather for the lottery event. But if they're gathering now for the lottery for the Tamid, we could do 13 rounds during this one meeting. We'll get, all get together and we're going to do 13 different numbers. Okay, so it's not a proof. Yes, there were four gatherings, but, each, but in this gathering they might have had different lotteries. Every day. Every day. Okay. With each gathering they would do a lot of lotteries. So Tashma come in here. So he said, Reb Yudha says, the question is, who would um, do the, um, when you, well, the Kohen, the third lottery will be for doing the incense, again, on a normal day. So who would bring the fire from the outer altar, from the outer Mizbeach, to the inner altar, the gold one, in order to burn the incense on it? So Reb Yehuda says, so, they would not do a lottery for that. The one that won the, won the, won the uh, lottery for the incense said to the guy next to him, you, you come do, do with me the machta. So you see there that they did not have a separate pious for that. So that seems to indicate that you would not do a separate pious. So the Gemara says, Shani machta That's not a proof. That's all part of how do you do the ketores. Things like this, which have different components and they're not all the same, right? That maybe you would have a separate lottery for each one. So the Gemara says, Ikadamri, um, some say that actually because the Gemara already knew that and it tried to prove the opposite from that. Ah, you see, it's only there you didn't do a separate lottery. Because it's all one thing. Other things that are really separate avodot, like the difference between cleaning the menorah and bringing the tamid, you have a separate lottery. So Mark says, no, not necessarily. It needs to tell you, you would never have separate lotteries. Each gathering, it would be one lottery. But nevertheless, it had to underscore that that was true even by the fire pan as well. What's the Kiddush? I would have thought first of all it's not so common meaning you only bring the Torah you know twice a day as opposed to animal olot which you bring you know the tummy is only twice a day but korbanot are going to be coming throughout the day so number one it's a very like prized opportunity this is the only once of the two times you're going to be doing it today number one Number two, Umeatra. There's a, there's a tradition that is the person who gets the Torah, it makes you rich. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's like a gula for getting rich. So it's very, very prized who gets to do the Torah. So since it was so prized, I might think, let's give each person an opportunity, one opportunity to do the Torah and one for the fire pan. Because everybody wants it. Oh, it's not fair. He got it and then the guy next to him. So you give everybody two chances at it. One for the Torah and one for the fire, fire pan. Maybe we should do a separate pious. 
Kamash Malan, that we would not do a separate pious, but really, this is not an exception, this is the rule, that you would never do a separate pious, one person would get it, and then it would be the people next to him. By the way, the, the Rashat points out that it sounds from here that the fire pan, this idea that the Torahs would make you rich, was true about even the guy that did the fire pan, right? Because that sounds like that's why it was prized and you would want a separate pious, and he points out that the Yushami actually says that explicitly. So just if you're wondering, two guys got an opportunity with each avoda uh, of getting rich. Tashma, what? Oh, we're good to have rich friends. <laughs> there you go. Tashma, the tiny Rebichia, so we have a bright Rebichia, so he says, they would not do it very explicitly, they would not do it for each avoda. The one who won the Imo, the 12 guys near him would all be schlepped along. You have one winner plus the next 12 guys, and it would not be 13 different lotteries. Shmamina, that is a good proof. Okay, now we move on to, which I just just said that next two dots, we move on to the Shochet and the Zoreg. And the problem is it was missing a guy. It spoke about who Shachs, it spoke about who did the Zrika, it didn't speak about who did the Kabbalah Saddam. So let's take a look. Ibailu, they raised the question. Me Mikabel, who would do the Kabbalah Saddam? Because it wasn't mentioned in the lottery here. So clearly it had to be bundled up with one of the other jobs. So there's two possibilities. The guy doing the shrita, he shakes and then he runs around, or maybe he's holding out one hand with the, with the, you know, with the vessel. Actually, you can't do that, because you have to yeah. do a vote of yamin. So actually, you have to shak and then quickly grab the vessel. Something's going to spill. Or more likely, the guy who does the zrika is standing there with the vessel mm-hmm. waiting to cap you. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look. Shochet Mekabel, the Shochet does it. The Iyamart is Zorik Mekabel, if you let the guy who's doing the Zerika do the Kabbalah. Agav Chavivuse, echoing a theme we had before, because it's so dear to him, he's going to do the Zerika on the Mizbeach. That's like the really hush of a job. You get to put the blood on the altar. So, Lo Mekabel Eluchul Edam, he's not going to wait to catch all the blood. He says, I got enough. I'm running to the Mizbeach. And he's going to be impatient. So, and that's a problem, because Lichatchila, we want all the blood to be caught. So maybe we wouldn't have the Zorik do it. Or maybe we have the Zorik do it. If you leave it for the Shochet, sometimes a non-Kohen does the Shrita. As Charlie likes reminding us, a non-Kohen can do the Shrita. And therefore, if the practice is the guy who does the Shrita does the Kabbalah, then you'll have a, a, a non-Kohen do the Kabbalah, which is invalid. Okay? Now, by the way, it's funny, number one, the Gemara didn't mention the just technical problem of how do you do the Shrita and the Kabbalah without missing any blood hitting the floor. Number one. But number two is, here it says you did a lottery, and even though you did a lottery, there's a concern that maybe a non-Kohen would come and do the Shrita. I don't know how that happens. Where, where I mean, are you standing when you're doing the Shrita? You could stand in the Ezra Tisrael. That's still the Ezra. Okay? So the funny thing is, is again, that, you know, maybe to speak about the possibility that it would be by another korbanot that a private person would bring, but you did a whole lottery and you're concerned that a czar is going to do the avoda, I don't exactly get the scenario. But anyway, let's see what the Quran answers. Tashma, come in here. Ben cutting us a yudbeis dad with kiur, ben cutting me 12 faucets for the uh, kiur, for the, uh, you know, for the laver, the things that they would wash their hands and feet with, so the 12 people that would do the tamid would all be able to uh, wash their hands at the same time. Okay? That everybody, everybody mentioned in the Mishnah, it's sunny, some of the first people weren't exactly doing the tamid, they were cleaning the menorah, but it was all happening with this lottery of the tamid. So everybody would go, you'd have, you wouldn't have to, you know, 12 faucets, no waiting. And everybody could wash their hands at once and get started at once. But we've got a little bit of a problem. Right? Because the Isaka Daitech um Shochet Makabel 
place their Havik. Now, here's the issue, right? I'm waiting for somebody to say, what do you mean 12? Our mission said 13. Right. So the answer is, because Shechita can be done by a czar, even if it's done with a Kohen, you don't need Kiddush Yadayim Vraglayim. You don't have to wash your hands. Shechita is fascinating. You know, we discussed before the whole idea, is something an Avoda, not an Avoda, is a czar Chayv Misa? Shechita is an Avoda, but a non-Kohen can do it. So what exactly is that status? So one of the halachas is you don't need Kiddush Yadayim Vraglayim. So you only needed 12, 12 faucets. You didn't need 13. The Shochet didn't need a faucet. But here's the problem. If the Shochet does the Kabbalah, then he needs to wash his hands because Kabbalah requires a Kohen and therefore needs washing of hands. Also, why simply... Well, how could you have an architectural feature based on the assumption that a czar would do the no, it's not the assumption. My point is, since it could be done by a czar, even when a Kohen does it, he does not need to be shut down by The Yisalkadaitik Shochet Mechabel, if the Shochet is also doing the Kabbalah, Tleserave, you need 13. He would also have to wash his hands. You see that the guy who does the Zrika does the Kabbalah, uh, does the Kabbalah, which anyway makes sense. We don't have Mimakabel. Who did the Kabbalah? So it had to be the Zorik because we, it's implicit from this that the Shochet did not wash his hands. And therefore, since the Mikado has to wash his hands, it has to be bundled up with the Zorik, which anyway just practically makes more sense. We also taught in Tamid. That's a pretty good proof. The Shochet shechted, the guy who caught the blood caught it, and then he went to throw the blood. So it's quite clear, the guy who caught the blood went to throw the blood. Shmamina, Daka, that's a good proof. Okay, so we will pick up tomorrow with the question about the order in which the Tamid was brought.